The following podcast is brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington. Voted the number one golf course in the region for the past 14 years in a row. It's obvious to see why Crosswinds is so popular. Not only is the course an absolute beauty nestled under the Niagara Escarpment, but it's reasonably priced and a fair test for golfers of all abilities. And those million-dollar views. You'll be tempted to take pictures on every hole, and that's okay, as long as you keep up with the group in front of you. Crosswinds has a commitment to excellence from the time you drive through the gates. But hey, don't take my word for it. Book your tee time now, online, at crosswindsgolf.com, and enjoy the beauty and splendor of this gorgeous golf course. And when you get there, tell them Hebsy sent you. Now, let's start the podcast. Welcome to Hebsy on Sports, episode number 201. I'm your host, Mark Hebsher, in the Little Italy studio, and there's Toronto Mike in the new Toronto studio uh, at Shea Boone. <laughs> Beautiful little studio. Now, you're indoors today. You're the indoor I'm uh, in, subterranean studio. Is that right? I'm in the, uh, yeah, the TMDS basement studio all alone. But you've done a lot of shows from that backyard studio. I love it, yeah. I've been trying to do... Every time there's a guest, I try to do it in the backyard. Absolutely. It's either backyard awesome. or Zoom. And Zoom, you know, I, if I could do backyard, you know that, Hebsey. I try to get you here every Friday. And the sound out of the backyard studio is excellent. You know, those microphones you have are outstanding. And if you work the mic close enough, you can't hear the chirping of the birds or the little bit of a bristling of the wind in the background. So that's pretty cool. And I like the uh, bird song in the background. It adds to the uh, yeah. charm. Look, you're a podcast <laughs> innovator. And now you're a vodcast Oh, yeah. Thanks to you, Hebsey. Uh, Your television background and uh, experience has really uh, helped me. So I've learned a lot from you. It's like chicken soup. It it can't hurt. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Okay. So today on the show, OG's buzzer beater revisited. How did Kyle Lowry find him with a huge defender in his face and half a second to go? I'll reveal the secret and why the Raptors will come back and win this series now. Woo! The new coach of the Brooklyn Nets, Steve Nash. Steve Nash? Were you surprised? Shocked? Overwhelmed? I was. And by the way, was his hiring white privilege or just a smart, savvy business decision? A good day for Canadians at the U.S. Open tennis. The Canucks and Flyers both survived to play a game seven. The Blue Jays are in a playoff position right now despite being the worst base running team in the history of Major League Baseball. (laughs) And if you're a fan of the Tragically Hip, I have some great news for you, Mike, especially, and all the fans. You sport my my courage um, mask there. and I love it. A little teaser, just a little teaser for you there. And by the way, I think we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of watchers and uh, viewers and listeners, I think, who are big hip fans. There's a lot of overlap there. All right. well, I have some great news, but I, I can't reveal that news. You have to, you'll have to ask me. Oh, is that things. the, uh, like, okay. What's my line? Okay. I'll remember. Like, I can't, I can't revive. I'm sort of under <laughs> um, the promise of secrecy and oh. whatever, but uh, <sighs> did you sign an NDA? I did not. Okay. Well, your brother would tell you that you're allowed to talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's start the show. Um, Game three, Raptors and the pesky Boston Celtics, but first a little revisionist history for you Raptor fans. A year ago, 
actually more than a year ago, last year's playoffs, which were in June of 2019. Uh, the Raptors took on the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Final, lost the first two games in Milwaukee, and came back to Toronto down 0-2. Mm-hmm. In the final minute of Game 3, in regulation, they led by five points, and they could not hang on. Pascal missed. He missed a free throw. Then he missed another free throw. Then he missed a jump shot. Then Van Vliet missed a jumper. Then Van Vliet missed a three. Then Siakam missed again. And Milwaukee came back and tied the game and sent it to overtime. And all Raptor fans were like, oi, we're screwed. And then, and then they couldn't win in, in overtime. It had to go to double overtime. And we're not for a steal and a dunk by Kawhi. Who knows what would have happened? They could have been down 3 nothing to Milwaukee. It could have been all over. But they prevailed. And then they won again and again and again and knocked Milwaukee out. And you know, you know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. So last night, same situation, except they didn't lose the first two games on the road because there is no road. They lost them in a bubble. Right. And they, they looked good and then they looked horrible in game three. They looked like they didn't deserve to win. They couldn't shoot. They, they were making stupid mistakes. Uh, and yet they were still alive. And even with 0.5 seconds to go after Boston had an easy dunk to take a two-point lead, even then, they managed to find a way thanks to the incredible Kyle Lowry. And if I haven't said it before, I'll say it again. This guy is better than any player that's ever worn a Raptor uniform for a number of reasons. But reason number one, this guy's smart. He looks at a situation, he looks it over, made differently from other people. He has a different perspective on it. And what happens is, with 0.5 seconds to go in the game, and with Philadelphia, with Boston putting their, like, their biggest guy, a seven-foot, five-inch taco fall, right. strictly for this reason only, the only reason this guy is on the roster is because he's so tall and his arms are so long that he can distract someone from trying to throw the ball inbounds, right? Okay, we only need you if we want you to guard the guy inbounds. Are you following me on this, Mike? I'm with you, Listeners? man. I'm with you. So there's 5, 0.5 seconds to go. Mm-hmm. The chances of you getting the ball inbounds to a guy for our open catch and shoot are extremely rare at this point. Extremely rare. And with a seven foot five inch guy with a 75 foot wingspan wow. waving his arms in front of you, over top. It makes it even more difficult. And in a normal NBA game, Kyle Lowry can't make that pass because there's only so much room on the sidelines in a regular NBA arena with the game going on. All those sideline seats, right, Mike? Right. So you've seen how tight it is there, how much room there is between the sideline and where the seats are and the feet of the, of the, the fans would be. Yeah. But in the bubble, There's all kinds of room. So go watch and see where Lowry is when he takes the inbounds pass. He's a good five feet behind that line. He, or he wouldn't be able to, if it was a normal court, there would be seats there. Right. So he's five feet further back, which means he can loop the ball over that seven foot, five inch guy, 65 feet to awaiting OG Ananobi for the catch and shoot game winning shot Woo! now nothing will compare to Kawhi's winner because that was a series winning shot right but remember if that ball doesn't go in we still have overtime 
if Ananobi's ball doesn't go in, the Raptors are down 0-3. Right. So years from now, if you're going to make the comparison, of course, a, a series winner, it never happened before in game seven. But again, if he misses that shot, people wouldn't be all over Ka- um, Ka- um, Kawhi Leonard because maybe the Raptors win it in overtime. But this one here, this is massive. Unbelievable. And, and Lowry being able to make that pass that would have made Tom Brady proud <laughs> to find him on that play was sensational. But Lowry was so smart, right? He knew that they were going to bring in the seven foot, five inch guy. And he's looking behind him on the baseline going, and I, I know they've practiced this because Van Vliet had um, uh, intimated that they had practiced this in the bubble. Just look at all the room. Lowry's like, look at all the room I got here. What do I need to stand? Why do I need to stand so close to the sideline? Why can't I just go back where the seats would be? And that's where he sets up. And of course, the uh, the seven foot five inch guy, he can't go over the line. So his arms being up are great and all that, but Lowry's still five feet behind him. Like a quarterback would be if a defense or defender was rushing in on him, he still has plenty of room to loop it. So smart. He stands back five feet, finds OG, game. So smart, Hebsey. So smart. Uh, and Phenomenal. you're right. You could never do that in a... Nor at normal times, you couldn't do that at you the Scotiabank Arena. And I'm not sure that Lowry at what six foot two. Yeah, if they in always exaggerate proximity, <laughs> could get seriously could get that ball with accuracy over that guy with 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 enough stuff on it that OG can catch it and shoot it at the same time. Well, I think he goes through the uprights, right? Like it's not even over. It's more like he well, can't... that's what I mean. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you yeah. is, is he wouldn't have been able to if right. he had if he was forced to stand, you know, just two feet behind the baseline or however much room there is between the baseline and where the spectators are in a normal game. I haven't measured it off, <laughs> but certainly he had way more room with no with no seats there. And what a, what a moment, Hebsey. But again, this will be similar to when uh, the Leafs came back and that whatever it was, game three or four or whatever, I lost track. But the Leafs had a big comeback and then we lost the series and now that doesn't matter. It was all for naught. Like the Raps right. have to win this series for this shot to go down in history. Of course. Like, so, yeah. So we have to, we have to finish this. Uh, we have to win, what, three of the next four games. Okay. Well, game... Uh, wait, 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 wait. Is my math off there? Yeah, three of the next four games. Yeah, sorry. I'm correct. Game four is Saturday at 6.30. <laughs> And I got to, you know, you've been uh, giving praise proper to to Lowry and he, he deserves all that praise because it, I, you know, if OG has to go down to get that pass or go up to get the pass, he can't take he can't take that shot and get it off in that point five seconds. Like it was so, so they've worked that play before, but that the still even if you practice that a million times for in that moment, in that part of the game, and, you know, you only have so much time to get that shot. You know, he, you don't want to. What is it? Five seconds. You've got to get the get the pass off. Got like, five seconds to get the ball in. So Lowry knows that. And the official is counting the five seconds. He's standing right next to him. Right. And it's not like there's OG's no, option hey, listen, one. There's there's no crowd sound like there's no right. screaming and yelling of crowds that you can't hear the ref. There's none of that. Right. Right. And I, so I don't know. He hears the referee clearly. Do you think like this? Do you think one, Two, three. Now he knows he's got time. Right. Now, when I called this play, when I designed this particular play, and it wasn't my idea, many coaches had done it before me and many will, we called it the pin and skip. Right? So the idea is, is that everybody goes to one side of the court, the near side, sideline there, and bunches up into the corner. And then you get your baseline shooter, in this case, um, OG, to come off a screen and run right along the baseline as fast as he can to that spot in the far, far corner. And Lowry hits him with the pass. The timing has to be perfect. 
And what's happened is, is all the other players are on the other side of the court. And the guy who gets picked, who gets screened off, mm-hmm. his, the other guy has to get over there really quickly to, to, to that corner in order to defend. And it's very rare that you're going to find a defender that's that good, that sharp, to be able to pick that up and get over to that far corner to make sure that Ananobi doesn't touch the ball. And, of course, the, the pass by Kyle was perfect. Right. It, it had enough zip on it that the defender couldn't get there in time to block Ananobi's shot. And, like you say, it was right on the money. Oh, yeah. It was a perfect strike in shooting position. Yeah. Catch shoot. Uh, I've watched that replay a hundred times. And you're right. If it's a little, if there's a little more air under that pass, you're right. The defender yep. can get over. So many things came into play. Uh, just, just awesome shot. And the ice in the veins of OG, you know, taking, nailing that shot and then walking like as if it was just, you know, just another free throw in a, in a, that's his nature. Unbelievable I don't think I, though. I, I can't recall ever seeing OG Ananobi show, um, much emotion. Can I ask you a question? Damian Cox tweeted that he kind of, he liked that, you know, he, he was like Jim Brown. He acted like he'd been there before and he'll be there again. Although right. he hadn't been there before, but that's another story. But, um, like he was like, Oh, I hope this catches on. I actually had the opposite reaction, which is okay. This, this is a buzzer beater in the uh, playoffs. You just hit the three. I, I would like, I would, I'm not asking OG to be anything other than OG and an OB, okay? Be yourself. But if it's in you and you want to express uh, happiness, I like that. This is a sports, man. This don't, you, I, Cox wants these players to be like, oh, I hit that. Let's just do it again tomorrow. Like, come on, this is sports. Let's have some fun. Hmm. Interesting. What are your thoughts uh, on I that? I like seeing the emotion as well. But if that's the type of a guy he is, yeah. or l- let me put it this way. Had that won the championship, I bet you his reaction was different. But what that did in his mind was he expected to make the shot. He, he's kept his team in the series and there's still a lot of work to be done. So he can't celebrate yet. Of course, I can't speak for OG Ananobi. I don't know. And also, it's important to remember, OG did not get to play last year's playoffs because of his That's appendicitis. Right. So uh, it's kind of nice that he now gets, this is like his time. It's almost like he had to watch from the sidelines last year. Uh, anyway, so the, I called that play pin and skip. And when we, when so what we do you mean ragged, you call? Wait, hold on. I got to ask you questions, Hebsey. Uh, what do you mean you called it? Like, where are you? Because because I know you chatted about this on the podcast extra, but it didn't make yeah. the podcast. Like, where are you designing this play? How did Nick Nurse steal your blueprints? Tell me. Oh no, he didn't steal my blueprint. It wasn't mine. Listen, when I was coaching, I uh, I took some coaching courses. I watched a lot of videos. Uh, you know, John Wooden, uh, Digger Phelps. Jeez, right. uh, I even watched. Uh, I, you know what? I read uh, Pat Summit's book. Actually, oh. the great. Um, women's coach at Tennessee. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, they talk about situations and, you know, what the defense is expecting and designing certain plays, the way a football coach would design a football play. Same thing. Okay. It's, it's like, um, uh, a set piece in soccer. They practice those practice, the set pieces, the corner kicks, the free kicks. Well, the same thing in basketball, you practice a play in a situation. And what we had done was you said, what happens if we're, you know, a couple seconds away, what do we do? And I had read that. I can't even remember who the coach was. It might have been Coach Joe Rasso from McMaster. Oh. It might have, but I'm not positive. But anyway, it was called a pin and skip. And the skip pass is the one that goes all the way across the court. You've seen them before. You know, a guy gets double teamed on the near sideline. He sees a guy way over in the far corner. Right. And he flips that sort of, you know, two-handed over-the-head pass or one-handed pass way over, all the way across the key to the far corner. It's like a skip pass. And pinning is like screening. You're, you're pinning a guy. You're not allowing him to chase his defender down. You're screening him out so the defender can cut loose. 
uh, and you practice it, you practice it, you get the timing down, you practice it, and it worked for us. We won a ball game with it. And of course, you know, all the other, how did you, well, what a great play. You called that play. That was fantastic. Wonderful. You know, yeah, well, guess what? I wasn't the first guy to call it. <laughs> Amazing, though. Amazing. It was either Coach Joe Rasso or Coach Ken Murray. Okay. That, that, had, that had taught me that or had explained something to that effect and uh, how a team should react on a, but, a play like that. But like, did you example, ever get to use it? Like, did you ever employ it? Oh, yeah. Well, I've just oh. told you. We did oh, it to okay, win sorry. a ball game. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, the sorry, Hamilton yeah. Basketball Association. <laughs> but you see, there's other things. Like, for example, if uh, on a sideline pass, you're not allowed to move laterally along the sideline to get yourself a better vantage point. You see what I mean? You have to be stationary. Right. Whereas if you inbound it from the end line, from behind the basket, let's say, you can run along the baseline. Right. Right. Because remember, you're not advancing right. your position. You're running along the baseline to try to get a better view or, or to, to, get, to catch a guy with an opening. Right. But you can't do that on the sidelines. Right. You can't run along the sideline closer to the basket no. or, you know, that type of thing. You're stationary. So here's Lowry going, geez, I'll never get the ball over this guy. Oh, oh wait a second. Look at all the room I now have behind me. The uh, the great pass by Lowry and the great shot by OG with 0.5 seconds left uh, erases what, what I thought was one of the greater passes I'd ever seen by Kemba Walker. Where Because oh. you're right, the blowing coverage by Gasol, he's open underneath, but still that pass was sublime. But Lowry's, nice. then point five, I thought, I even said to you know young Jarvis, who's only six, I'm like, that pass, oh my God. And then 0.5 seconds later, I saw a better pass. Yeah. As soon as I saw, first of all, Kemba Walker has killed the Raptors for years. I don't know what it is. doesn't matter who he's playing for. When I see him out there, I get scared. And so when he made that pass for the easy dunk, I said, that damn Kemba Walker again. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway. Right. Okay. Okay. So, we got to, uh, we got to win the series comes- to put that shot in the uh, echelon of uh, great Raptor moments. Well, like you said, if the Raptors don't win the series, uh, it doesn't, I don't know if it makes the top 10. That's all for naught. I don't know. So it's, it's hard to say, but uh, let's hope that it, uh, it was a, it's a, a harbinger. Let's do it. It's uh, something that the Raptors can take to the next game and uh, use that momentum because that was damned exciting, Mike. Damned exciting. Loved it. And it kind of topped off like just a great day in sports. Um, I watched more basketball afterwards. Uh, the Clippers, for example, led by Kawhi's 29 points, wiped out Denver 120 to 97. Game one of the Western semifinal. Jamal Murray held to 12 points on five of 15 shooting, wow. but he was so good in their win over Utah. That seventh game, uh, which was just Tuesday night, so they, they didn't have any time to rest. Uh, so they got waxed by the Clippers. Uh, and tonight, the Miami Heat tried to go up 3 0 on Milwaukee. So wow. here's your top two seeds in the East in trouble. Right. Um, and the Heat have looked really good. Wow. So there, that goes tonight uh, in Orlando in the bubble. And the Rockets and Lakers meet in game one of their Western semifinal after Houston outlasted OKC in seven games the other night in another wild game. That's the NBA a, playoffs have been spectacular. That's a good word for it, outlasted. Because at the end, it wasn't like who was going to make the shot. It would be who, you know, it was like no one was really making anything at the end of that game. It was... Uh, Last man standing. Right, right. But it was right. It was very exciting. Steve Nash. Yes. Probably along with Vince Carter, one of the main reasons why so many Canadians have taken up basketball, loved basketball, follow it passionately. Vince for sure during his era, but gosh, Steve Nash. 
because we had a guy, we had a Canadian right. that we could point to and go, look at that little white guy from BC. Back to back, baby. Back to back MVPs. Uh, and one of the few players in the history of the game, I think Larry Bird's the other one, to have had a 40, 50, 90 season. That's 40% shooting threes, 50% shooting from the field, and 90% shooting from the free throw line. Amazing. In the, in the same season. And I think he did it three or four times, Steve Nash. And without a, a doubt, head and tails, the greatest uh, yeah. basketball player this country's ever produced. Right. Lock Cinch Hall of Famer. But did you ever for a second think, Steve Nash, NBA coach? Well, I didn't. Not me. I did not think it. Like, I, I think when you're th- that caliber of Filmmaker, player. Filmmaker, philanthropist, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. But not NBA coach. Okay, but you will concur that when you have his uh, his his history as a player, you get the interview. Oh yeah, more than the interview, you well, get right. the endorsement so, from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So it's so. I mean, I've seen. I mean, there's been a lot of great players who have kind of gone straight to head coaching. A lot of many. Yeah, many. And some of them weren't even great players. They were just you know yeah. players that uh, had because they say Mike, and mm-hmm. I think this is true in any sport. The last few years you're playing, you really are learning to become a coach. You're observing things differently. You're in the twilight of your career. You're, you're just more observant. You've got more time on the bench, for example, to watch the way things unfold, watch the way the coaching staff works. So it's almost by uh, just by naturally you're going to figure out what would I do in situations like this? What, you know, how would I coach this team? Right. And so, you know, I'm sure in his last few years of playing Steve Nash, and even when he was working with the Golden State Warriors, was thinking to himself, I could coach. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'd be a good coach. Right. I'd be a respected coach. Uh, and even though he wasn't on anybody's radar and had no coaching experience at any level, to my knowledge, uh, he got the four-year deal with the Brooklyn Nets. Who, the general manager there happens to be his old teammate with Phoenix. Um, so that prompted Stephen A. Smith of ESPN to suggest white privilege with the signing of Steve Nash. And that Stephen A. Smith, eh, look, he rattles cages. I get that. And he said, you know, basically that men like uh, Mark Jackson, Ty Lue, Sam Cassell, black men uh, were overlooked and that Steve Nash doesn't deserve the job. Well, he said he was a great player and a wonderful guy and all that, but he said that Steve Nash didn't deserve the job based on his lack of experience and the fact that he was a white man and there were black men that did have experience. What are your thoughts on that, Hebsey man? Well, if he would have looked at Steve Kerr, for example, and said, well, Steve Kerr didn't deserve that job. He had no coaching experience at all when he took over the Golden State Warriors. And then five years later, uh, Steve uh, Kerr has won five consecutive Western Conference championships and three NBA titles. You know, it kind of kills that. Steve Kerr did not have the experience, but obviously knew enough about coaching <clears throat> what to do, how to handle players that uh, he's been successful. So nobody looks back now and says, yeah, but he got the job with no experience because of white privilege. Do they? Uh, I think it, it, the, the statement by made by Stephen, uh, Stephen A. Smith, I was, yeah, is, uh, yeah. is of the moment, right? Like this is, this is the summer. Yeah. Summer of Black Lives Matter, and we're really, uh, I, mean, I did a whole episode on this yesterday on Toronto Mike, but just really l- learning other people's perspectives when it comes to uh, systemic racism in, 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 in our society. So in that, in, of this time, 
I can see him making that comment. But I'll just say, and I, I don't know. I, I uh, would say that when I hear somebody like, forget the fact he's Canadian, forget the fact he's white, just his, his record as a player, I'm not well surprised respected. he got the job. Uh, you know, doors do fly open for, you know, two-time uh, MVPs. And not because they're white, but because they're two-time MVPs. Right. And didn't Steve Nash work very closely with his good friend Jay Triano when Jay was coaching the men's, um, our Olympic team, Canadian Olympic team? So even though he's never coached, and he's there. He, he knows what's going on. I thought he was going to be a soccer coach, though, not a, not a basketball coach. <laughs> uh, and besides, when you've got friends like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who I'm sure had veto power here, for certainly KD, some kind of veto power. Like, who do you want as your next coach? Right. I'm sure that had a lot to do with it too. Because you know what? I, I'm not sure for years. If I was an owner, I'd want to know from my key players who they'd want. I wouldn't foist someone upon them. So here you go. Here's your new coach. And have you ever had that happen, Mike, where you, you go to work for someone hires you and say, <clears throat> here's your here's your boss. And you're like, you're you're like, oh, I don't like this person. Yeah, I know. It, I, it, if it I happens. would have known this in advance, I don't right. know if I would take the job. Yeah, and it happens all the time. Uh, yeah. It's, all the time. Right. Now, so how many thing, times has a coach been hired yeah. and the key players go, oh, I don't want to play for this guy. And it's, it's easier to replace the coach than the players, as you know. Way easier. <laughs> so the, good for Steve Nash. Uh, good luck. And uh, like Messiah Jury said, fuck Brooklyn. Fuck Brooklyn. Don't look now, Mike. But the worst base running team in all of baseball are tied with the New York Yankees for second place in the American League East. And that is a playoff position in this 60-game race to the postseason in Major League Baseball. Your Toronto Blue Jays beat the Boston Red Sox 6-2 in 10 innings last night thanks to a three-run homer by Teoscar Hernandez, his 15th of the year. Wow. If there was an all-star game, he would be in it, but there isn't this year. And then later in the 10th, a two-run shot by Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So the Jays have now played 36 games, 11 of which have gone into extra innings. That's 31%. That's a lot. That puts a lot of pressure on the bullpen, but also allows players in extra innings to become heroes, hmm. <clears throat> right? Something about that extra inning blow right? that stands above. You know, I'm sure it would have been nice if it was an eighth inning shot to give them the lead, but it was like a kind of, not, not, it wasn't a game winner because it took place in the top of the 10th at Fenway. But still. Yeah. Yeah. The Oscar. It, I got to I got to ask. The pitching staff has yeah. been fantastic. Okay, can I ask you know, uh, when a starter can go into the sixth inning and people can go, oh, he went into the sixth. We're so excited. Taiwan Walker's pitching into the sixth. This is wonderful. <laughs> it, it takes a bit of the pressure off the bullpen. The bullpen has been fantastic. Yeah. The base running, not so fantastic. <laughs> In fact, Chaplin-esque is the best way I heard it described. Mm -hmm. Because it does. It looks like, uh, you know, in the Charlie Chaplin movies, like, you know, Keystone Cops. Whoop, 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 whoop. Where are we going? Like, you know, don't know where to go. Right, right. And Vladdy Guerrero Jr. could have, he could have actually been in these old movies. It's like, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, like he, he's made some incredible bonehead moves on the bases. And last night he did the same thing. He's on first base with two outs. They teach you with two outs as soon as the ball is hit, just run. Right. Just go. Yeah, of course. There's two outs. Yeah. And so it's a pop up to the infield and Vladdy's running on the, on the pitch on the hit and the ball gets dropped by the second baseman. And by this time, Vladdy's at third and the second baseman, I can't remember his name, kind of, you know, he drops the pop up and he kind of looks sheepishly 
and he looks as if he maybe isn't paying attention to Vladdy. And Vladdy thinks, oh, I'm going to break for home. Now, that would, that would be a smart move if the ball was out in the outfield. Right. But it's, right on, it's just on the infield grass. Right. It's, it's 100 <laughs> feet away. And he's not Vince Coleman. It's an easy throw. Your son Jarvis could have thrown him out at the plate. Right, right, right. With three hops. Right. The second baseman looks and he sees, and, and everybody goes, he's going. And he looks and sees Vladdy halfway down the third baseline. Wow. He throws the ball, not even super hard, to the catcher, who has to wait a second and a half for Vladdy to arrive before he can put the tag on. And they still win the game, despite that to Jace. They still win. And newcomer Jonathan VR is showing why the Miami Marlins were so quick to get rid of him. He doesn't know how to run the bases, got picked off the other night at third, picked off another time, ran, ran himself into it. You know, just he doesn't look like he's that interested out there. Is this a coaching issue? What is this? Like, where's the fault line for this uh, unacceptable base running? Because you'd like to be able to point to the third base coach. You don't know if. And the other thing is, if I'm a player, do I always listen to my coach or do I use my own instincts? Because I think these guys are using their own instincts. I think they're running on their own. Well, there's no way the third base coach sent Vladdy on that play. Like, he I don't know if own. he did, if he sent him. See, that's the other thing. I'm sure there's many times where the coach goes, go, go, go. And the player goes, no, I don't think so. Not when you're like, if you're Vince Coleman or something, you might go, <clears throat> go, go. Cause he's going to be there, you know, but when you're Vladdy, you know, you you don't, you don't do that. with. And him. that's why I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if, and I don't know if he sent uh, Gurriel the other night either, who ended the game with being caught at the plate. I'm, I'm not sure if that's always the third. It's easy to blame the third base coach, but does every player listen to what his coach tells him? And nope. at what point is the coach saying go? Right. Or is Vladdy kind of looking at the second baseman and saying, I- I'm not waiting for the coach to tell me. Hmm. I see it the same way he sees it. I'm going. I think I can make it. Insane. Oh, yeah. Insane. Yeah. And it's, it's, not a a, it's not a one-off. Yeah. It's been an organizational yeah. problem, Mike. Right. This isn't just at the major league level. This is something that is not taught or is not absorbed by the players at the lower levels. When you only play a certain number of minor league games, as Vladdy has, you never really get the fundamentals down. Now, certain organizations are sticklers for the fundamentals right from the very beginning. I don't believe the Toronto Blue Jays are that type of organization. I don't hear people going, you want to be playing Toronto Blue Jays baseball. No, no. I get it when they're going St. Louis Cardinal baseball. The fundamentals, it's always been that way. But I don't think that's the case with the Toronto Blue Jays. I think that they're lax when it comes to teaching the fundamentals. And I'm not talking about dropping a bunt down. I'm talking about on the bases, when to go, how to pick up your coaches, how to read a play. Because this is because they lead the league in being thrown out on the base pass, <clears throat> not at first base on a close play. Right. Being picked off, caught stealing, caught in a rundown, trying to advance when there's no business trying to advance in situations that don't call for it. Unforced errors. Yeah, that's it. But the good thing is, Mike, the New York Yankees Mm -hmm. sucked a big one. Mm -hmm. They're horrible. They're so bad. Aroldis Chapman gets lit up for the game-tying home run, and then the Mets win it in extra innings against the Yankees, who are tied with the Jays for second place at 20-16 and in the American League East. And wouldn't it be great, because the Jays have a doubleheader with Boston today it's a five game series against boston who sucks 
So you got a doubleheader today. So you got a five game series in total, a single game uh, Saturday and a doubleheader Sunday, I think. Two, three, five. No, single game Saturday and Sunday. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five game series. So let's blow past the Yankees. Let's get into a playoff position. And uh, then try to figure out our postseason pitching rotation. Now that we've got uh, Taiwan Walker, we got this guy, uh, Chicken Strips. What's his name? Stripling <laughs> from the Dodgers. He's going to pitch. Right. right. It's a whole new team. I think Jack Morris is available. <laughs> David Cohn. Well, they give you the innings. Think anyways. of all the guys they got. What about Doyle Alexander? 90s. He turned 70 years old today. Hello, Doyle. Right. But think back in the early 90s when they were going for championships. Yeah. Dave Winfield, Paul Molitor, Ricky Henderson, David Cohn, Jack Morris, all these great players. Sure. Let's go get them. But Hebsey man, Hebsey man, part of this yeah. is probably my cable package. I'm not getting, I almost get almost none of these Jays games because I guess the, I get the one level of Sportsnet and it's always uh, Raptors or it's uh, You don't get Sportsnet hockey. one. Yeah. Okay. So that, and I know I can make you a phone You don't pay call. for that? No. So, or Sportsnet 360, which is on a completely different package. Right. I get Sportsnet. I get the one that. Uh, so I. I yeah. So usually it's uh, <clears> if it's not a, it's usually an NHL game or it's at the Raptors if they're playing. But right. all this is to say, so I'm missing a lot of this because I'm also yeah. distracted with things going on. But I also have in my mind, and I need you to to comment on this. I know it's a 60 game season, which is mm-hmm. you know much shorter. Well, it than may it. not be for some teams. Right. Exactly. So 60 or less or fewer. And uh, I'm also very aware they added these extra playoff spots. Like, so it just, it feels very like, is this like, I know I keep hearing, yeah, the Jays are going to make the playoffs this season. It doesn't feel the same. Do you, does it, like, I don't know if that's an asterisk or if it's just because they changed, these things are so different. Is it like, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Is this the same as if we made the playoffs last year? Yeah. It's not an official pennant race yet. We don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. You know, it's not, it's September, but it's not September of a regular baseball season. So you're at the 36 game mark. It's supposed to be 60 games. Right. Right. 24 more games is what? That's another four weeks or so. Sure. Six times four, 24. Thereabouts. Yep. So, so when does, when does the real scoreboard watching start with 20 games to go, 15 games to go? We haven't figured that out yet. We don't know when to get. And as well, like you said, there's other distractions. You've got the Raptors are in the playoffs. You've got, you know, uh, Stanley Cup. You've got stuff going on, uh, which normally isn't all compressed. I mean, right. last night, Mike, at about, I think about 9.30, quarter to 10. Um, what did I have on? I'm just trying to think here. I had so much stuff on. There was an overtime Jay's game, I saw. Game, yeah, Flyers I Islanders. Right. Vegas, Vancouver. Uh, Felix Oje Aliasim playing Andy Murray. Right. The Raptors game, of course. It was just channel flipping galore. All right. Talk to me about this. Give me an NHL update. I, I did catch wind of the uh, the Philly uh, Islanders series in overtime, right. but give me the uh, give me the NHL uh, recap here. All right. So the Philly Islanders series, it was 3-1 Islanders, and now it's 3-3. Philly won in uh, double overtime last night, 5-4 on a goal by Ivan Pro- Provorov. Oh, yeah. The big story there was the return of um, Oscar Lindblom. You may recall was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer back in December for the Flyers. Right. Uh, quite shocking. Uh, he returned last night, suited up, um, played over 17 minutes, looked pretty good. Oh, good. And that's a great story. That's an inspiring story. I hope Philly wins tomorrow night. Come yeah. back from a 3-1 deficit with young goalie Carter Hart, who may be Canada's Olympic and uh, national goalie of the future. 
Right. I mean, he could be the starting goalie for us in the Olympics, Carter Hart. Yeah, because because eventually Price ages out, right? <laughs> it's a great story. It could be Jordan Bennington too, another excellent young Canadian-born goaltender. Right. So that's that. So the Flyers are tied with uh, the Islanders. The final game in the Toronto bubble will be tomorrow night. And then out west, the mm-hmm. Vancouver Canucks, who are down 3-1 to the Vegas Golden Knights and looked dead and buried, mm-hmm. made a goaltending change and put in their eighth-string goaltender, Thatcher Demko. <laughs> I believe he was number eight on the chart. Right. right. I mean, really <laughs> Thatcher Demko. And he's played two straight games, stopped 90 shots, wow. uh, 48 of them last night as Vegas was blanked for nothing by Vancouver. The series tied three, three. So they got to go with Thatcher for game seven. Well, you have to. Thatcher Demko. Okay. Or is it Thatcher Themko? <laughs> anyway, good Na- story. Obviously but- named after Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> If you really care about the Vancouver Canucks and the uh, and the Stanley Cup playoffs in the West this year, and you've watched some of the games, that's an interesting story. I'll tune in for that. Yeah, Game Sevens in a playoff will you typically. Uh, if I'm Game Seven will get me busy. Going. I'll be game watching Seven in any series. I don't care. I watched Game Seven between Utah and Denver the right, other night. Yeah, it was fabulous. I watched Game Seven between Oklahoma City and Houston. Me too. Fabulous. I like a Game Seven. You got it. Uh, time for a word now for my favorite golf course and should be yours as well. Crossman's Golf and Country Club in Burlington. It's actually in Lowville, which is uh, greater Burlington. I know Lowville. <laughs> Lowville's beautiful. I had pictures. I think Monica and I had our, uh, what do you call it? When you get pictures taken when you're engaged to be married, whatever that's called. But uh, What do you call that? Yeah, like what is that? Engagement photos? Yeah. I don't know. This is all Monica planned all this stuff, but we did it in Lowville. <laughs> that's nice. It was beautiful. So that's where Crossman's Golf and Country Club is located, uh, right in the Niagara Escarpment, the split in the escarpment between Mount Nemo and uh, Rattlestake Point. It is beautiful. It's always in good condition. It's luxurious. The views are to die for. Million-dollar views at Crosswinds. And, of course, the course is in wonderful shape and very, very playable from any tee, from any level. You could be a beginner golfer. It's not one of those courses where you're going, oh, I have to hit it over this water here. i got to hit it over all these bushes here. No, it's very fair, no matter what your level of uh, golfing expertise is. And hey, it's a beautiful course. Just the scenery alone will make you feel alive. So uh, get out there. Uh, it's not easy to get on. So I would suggest go to crosswindsgolf.com, book your tee time online. Now you can book 14 days in advance. Uh, and I'm playing on Sunday afternoon. The weather looks like it's going to be beautiful. If you see me out there, give me a wave. Crosswindsgolf.com. Amazing. The Tour Championship of Golf is going to be odd, Mike. It's going to be weird. Um, because the winner gets, I think, $10 million, $100 million. <laughs> It doesn't matter. <laughs> if you finish dead last, you get $390,000. I'll take it. But this is the Tour Championship, the FedEx points. And what happens with this is you already have a posted score before you even begin. So Dustin Johnson, the number one player on the FedEx standings, he's the leader before the tournament even starts at 10 under par because of what he's achieved during the season. Right. Uh, John Rahm, his playing partner who won last week, he starts at eight under par and then so on down the line to Mackenzie Hughes, who finished like 28th and he starts at even par. So Mackenzie Hughes has no chance of winning the tournament. There's he's no chance. He starts 10. He already right. starts 10 shots back of Dustin. He's got to be 11 shots better than Dustin Johnson. No, wait, wait, wait. What? 
I mean, not I, I know that, the other guys. But yeah, he no. has to be. But think about that. Even if Dustin Johnson plays horribly and shoots right. a couple of eighties, he from. still has to be better than John Rom. Right. Better than you know all these oh, other yeah. guys that are ahead of him. Yeah, the so deck is uh, stacked against him. So he can take chances. It doesn't matter. He's got three hundred and ninety <laughs> grand in his pocket, and he's exempt from all four majors next year. He he gets to play. He doesn't have to qualify, get an invitation, anything like that. Is he he's the Hamilton guy? So, yeah. From Dundas. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to confirm. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah, that's and, and and if you recall, Mike, I was the first right. on any show to say well over a year ago, this guy's going to be a good one. He's I know. going to be the best of the Canadian. Golf I team. told Bob Weeks that uh, you called this one. So yeah, um, not not that it was that tough a call. I mean, the guy was a very good player, very good junior player, excellent player at Kent State. Like a really, you know, he's got game. Scott King. And of course he wears the, uh, the score is his main sponsor because John Levy, who owns the score television network, a uh, Hamilton guy was uh, the first one to sort of step forward and sponsor Mackenzie Hughes. Oh, um, John good. did uh, a guy named Don Robertson who runs the Dundas Rio McCoy's um, senior OHA team. They stepped up and said, you know what? This kid needs some sponsorship dollars yeah, so he can get out there and perform against the best in the world. And look how it's paying off. Amazing. Right. Amazing story. In tennis, Felix Auger-Aliassime, the number 15 seed, took care of Andy Murray in round two of the U.S. Open, winning 6-2, 6-3, 6-4. What's the age Earlier, difference there? Earlier, Pospisil <laughs> took out number 25, Milos Raonic, oh, yeah. acing him on the winning point. Who are you rooting I was for? Happy. I'm really happy for okay. Vasek Pospisil. He's been through a lot injury-wise. Played great last year, if you remember, yeah. after having back surgery. And just a good guy to root for, eh, Mike? I, I would agree to root for him in any match, but I have to say I was actually rooting for uh, Milos in that round. Ra- that's a tough one because you have your, your split with your rooting interest, but I feel like Milos sure. is our guy because he's a Ontario guy. Uh, okay, but it's just, it doesn't it seem every year that we've got Canadians playing each other? Like Hospital, yeah. I think, played Shapovalov. Shapovalov played Felix Auger-Aliassime. You don't like to see that, but that just happens, oh, seems yeah. to be happening more and more in the draws because we have more Canadian players. Oh, it's... Yeah, four men in the draw this year. It's never been like this before. This is, and it's happening in golf too, right? We have uh, more. Yes. So it's it's kind of an exciting time to root for the countrymen around the world to see. Um, you know, look look at uh, Alfonso Davies, yeah, uh, playing for Bayern Munich, yeah. And of course, when they won the Champions League, everybody just said, "Oh, I guess he's going to win the Lou Marsh." I saw that. Which like I hate Jeff Blair. Anyway. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. And the other thing is, what if I'm Jamal Murray and I'm going? Wait a minute. I'm Canadian from Kitchener, Ontario. I'm playing NBA basketball at an extremely high level against the best in the world, dropping 50 points in playoff games. Shouldn't I be considered for the well, it's probably just the Canadian athlete of the year? The or are we just giving freaks. it to Alfonso Davies? No, I mean, most, most Canadians have n- never saw a minute of Alfonso Davies play anything this last year, right? Like, that's fair to say. <laughs> Because, but that's not my point. My point is, you don't give away. You don't. No. I mean, it's is the easiest thing in the world to say. Well, this one's over. May as well give it to Alfonso Davies. Yeah, let's play really? out the year. Let's play it out. Right. Really? So you have no faith in any other Canadian athlete. What if Felix wins? You're the not US looking Open? at a schedule. Going wait. What other? What if Mackenzie Hughes won the Tour Championship? What if he wins the 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 Master? You know. Whatever right. the case is. Or Felix wins say the US Open. That, to say that that achievement by Alfonso Davies cannot be, there cannot be a greater sporting achievement by a Canadian in 2020 is just dumb. Yeah, that is dumb. That's dumb. 
That's dumb. But it's usually uttered by somebody who's like a soccer first person, like crazy about soccer. Because- no, no. I, I, there were other writers, other and, and Sportsnet people and TSN people. Let's just give it to Alfonso Davies. In other words, you non-soccer fans have no idea what an achievement this is, even though he's a member of a team. Right. Right? And you're going to take his individual performance, which was excellent, but it's not like he scored four goals in the championship game or whatever, or was even voted the golden boot winner or the best player in Champions League or whatever. He was a hell of a player. Right. But to take him in a team sport and say he's the one, and- which means all your golfers, all your tennis players, all your, you know, any hockey player, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, Chuba Hubbard, you know, who was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Just to say to them, you guys can't do anything that's going to beat what Alfonso Davies is. I just didn't like that. Can I, my struggle, Hebsey, I need just ask this, is that uh, like, I'm in baseball, I know the number one league. In hockey, I know the number one league. In basketball, I know the number one league. But in soccer, like I, I know this is a major league, whatever, but there's so many different top-tier leagues of that like ilk like i don't have a sense like so yes it's kind of best on best but there's a lot of best in the premiership uh the english league and there's other there's other much better yeah spanish like so i don't i don't have a sense of how i don't have a good sense the league that has the most money although you know they have a lot of money in spain too. they got hurricane they've got harry kane that's tottenham but but yeah i mean i think that any any all the great players Mm -hmm. have played in uh england messi hasn't but I mean, Ronaldo's play. I mean, usually the great players want to play against the best, and and the English Premiership is the is the best. But after that, it's a toss up between uh, Serie A in Italy and uh, La Liga in Spain and uh, the Bundesliga. But you can see how now, it could kind of be diluted, teams, like this. But this it's is, not uh... nearly as competitive. The Bundesliga is not nearly as competitive as the English Premier League. Right. That's got five, six, seven teams vying for top spots in the Bundesliga. It's Bayern Munich, and it's uh, and the other one. I can't even think of their names. Um, Lever, uh, Leverkusen, and then there's one other one, too. I can't even think. But uh, that's pretty much it. There's like two, three teams. So it's kind of tough to – It's just, I yeah. find it difficult to uh, appreciate. I know this is unprecedented. We use that word a lot now. But I, I'm, I'm struggling to totally understand exactly what Alfonso Davies has accomplished, which, which is, I'm not taking well, away from Well, it's the fact that it. he's played on a team that won the Champions League and no Canadian has ever played on a Champions League team. No Canadian man. Okay. Okay. So that's a big deal. But not, not to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't automatically give him well, uh, that event. What if, if Denny Shapovalov, the number 12 seed at the U.S. Open, has a great run? Right. What if uh, right? Felix and there's wins no it all? Federer this year. There's no Nadal this year. Djokovic, uh, you know, okay, he looked somewhat human, even though he beat Milos in the final last week in Cincy. He could be beaten. He could have an off game. So let's not uh, hand it to, uh, you know, uh, right. Alfonso Davies just yet. Right. Uh, um, Shapovalov has a third-round date uh, with 19th seed Taylor Fritz of the United States. That's today. And on the women's side, the only women we had playing was 17-year-old Leila Anne Fernandez. She lost to Sophia Kennan earlier in the day. And remember, Bianca, the, the flash in the pan. Well, she's still young. Flash in the pan. Well, I know. There's still time. <laughs> I don't know. Hebsey, I'm a, as you know, I'm not as big a fan as you because nobody is, but I'm a massive Tragically Hip fan. Uh, I've, I, I, one of my, probably my favorite band of all time, if I weigh everything here. And you teased me off the top that you've got some uh, hip news I'd be interested in. And I don't want to let this episode end without reminding you that I need the hip news. 
Okay. I, I, I can't reveal too much information. I can answer your questions though about the future of the tragically hip okay. and, and whether we're going to hear okay. stuff and there's news about them. Well, there's already let me ask you questions then. This is this, I'll yeah. pretend this is do a Toronto Mike to episode. The, I mean, do you follow them on Instagram, for example? No, but I get the email list, uh, hip base. I can't remember what they call it actually, but the, the, the I get the, the official tragically hip, uh, email newsletter. Okay. So all right, but so you don't have the Gord, like you don't have, you don't follow Gord Downey's account. Um, on, I probably do. Yeah, I know. I probably do follow. Probably and do. I think. Well, I, I think I do. Why wouldn't I? No, I do. I do. But you know, you can't remember who you follow unless they tweet often, and that account does not tweet very often. So I. Well, on the Gord Downey account, I mean, they've been revealing um, handwritten lyrics from. Okay. Some of the so songs. That let they, me ask questions. That they have found. Are we going to uh, hear any unreleased tragically hip songs? I believe you will. Woo! And you know, I know, and most listeners know that you you would know you have good connections in the hip management. That's all I'm going to say there. But so we unre- so is uh well that's huge. Is there? I'm always interested. Is there any possibility of the obviously the tragically hip uh, Gordani has passed away? But is there any chance of some kind of uh, live performance by the uh, surviving members of the Tragically Hip at some point. And I don't know if that's a guest singers or what it is, what it looks like, but is there any talks of that? I can't say at this point. The unreleased material, uh, do you know, are we getting, are we going to be able to, is there a, like an album that's going to, like an unreleased track album? Yes. Wow. Is it going to be released in 2020? No. Okay. Wow, this is still... Isn't this is like to tell the truth? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Are you a Broadway star? No. Yeah, yeah, I used to Do watch... You, uh... Have you ever met Joe DiMaggio? Yes. Are you Babe Ruth? No. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, the unreleased material is the big one. I know that there's uh, there's vaults. We always hear about the Bad House vaults. All these uh, these tragically hit vaults that have been seem kind of they've been shuttered, I guess. Uh, but but it sounds like vaults. Things, what do you mean? Like there's a I feel I guess that's uh, like like as uh, Michael Barclay said, uh, release the hounds. Apparently there's right. there's a lot of stuff like unreleased material and stuff in the vault that we would love to, uh, us fans would love to get uh, our ears on. And oh, it sounds oh, like it's going to happen. Uh, no, no. In fact, uh, okay. no, they're all the material that they recorded that they found, you know, ended up being on, on albums, but there was some stuff that they didn't know existed. Okay. Okay. Because I think what happened was maybe speaking out of turn here, but um, just do it, man. I think what happens is this. If you ask any band, okay, you guys went into the studio for weeks, right? You did sessions every day, right? They were on these big reel to reel tapes, two inch audio tapes from you know when they were recording back in the 90s let's say right right and, and so now 25 years later 30 years later you're like oh, okay where's all this material that didn't make it to the albums right like where is that stuff do we have any of that stuff did we get any takes did we whatever and i think the answer was no we we have no idea where it is we're sure we did something but it could have been recorded over lost it was never logged it, it 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 ended up being in a fire. You've heard about the you know the fire they had at Atlantic Records or right. whatever it was in uh, L.A. where the masters uh, all this tremendous yeah. material was lost forever. Master recordings, yeah. Master recordings, yeah. And so there was stuff out there, 
And the way I understand it is, and I'm not speaking out of turn here, the way I understand it is they found some of it. And wow. it's an ongoing process. That's really all I can say. But it sound, it sound, if I'm reading between the lines, in 2021, uh, we'll hear tragically hit music that uh, we haven't heard before. You've never heard before. Which is really, I think that's what the fans would love to hear. That's the big one. You dropped the big one there. Oh, so yeah. That's what oh, we're yeah. hoping for. That's well, amazing. Look, how about if I said to you, hey, Mike, <clears throat> you're a fan of U2. Did you know that um, there's all these outtakes from the uh, the Joshua Tree? Right. Right? There's all these um, um, alternative tracks, for example. The songs that you heard, that you heard on the radio, there were other versions of those songs that were recorded, right? but were never put on an album. Maybe half job, maybe they had to stick two of them together from different sessions. It happens all the time. And yeah. so there's that distinct possibility that there's material out there that for sure no one's ever heard before that these guys recorded and it's in out in the ether somewhere and it's being, you know, Oh, you're, Oh, what's that? I, there's no I, label on it. I have a big question for you, Hebsey man. Have you heard anything that would be a part of this unreleased uh, compilation or whatever in 2021? I'm not allowed to say. Oh, and, okay, can you hum a few bars, maybe? <laughs> I'm not allowed to go any further. Wow. I know what that means. Uh, that's, a, that's exciting. That's exciting. I'm not allowed. I know. Well, you didn't sign I mean, an I NDA. I could be banned forever from, <laughs> you know. All whatever, this, tell, tell you know who, from. that all this pre-, uh, pre But it's very exciting. And if you yeah. follow Gord Downey's account on uh, Instagram, you'll see that they're you know, in the process of giving away some pretty cool stuff and, you know, stay tuned. Awesome. That's great. And, and uh, can you buy those courage masks? Is that also available? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Go to, go to the hips um, uh, website. Yeah. Hip.com. Yeah. And um, all the proceeds go to, I'm pretty sure uh, Gord's funds. I could be wrong, but uh, it's, it's going to, for good causes. Excellent. Awesome. This, okay. is, this is all good news for hip fans. There you go. Awesome. I think they're coming up with like a booze too. Well, they already, I know they had a wine. Are they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think they're coming okay. up with not just for wine. I think okay. like other stuff, like a beer. Oh, oh a tragically a, a beer. Like that. Yeah. Okay. Or a cooler or cool. a kamikaze or something like that. Cool. Cool. Maybe a sparkling water. I don't know. Maybe the Tragically Hip Booze uh, should sponsor Hebsy on Sports um, for the winter. Well, Flamenco is their rosé wine. I know that. Well, I know because Bobcat's somehow involved. I don't know. The but you're point. right. Yeah, that's right. We should get them to, yeah. to sponsor. Honestly, Toronto-based sports fans are probably in the Venn diagram of hip fans. Like, there's a lot of us. Uh, Let me see what I can do. That's a good <laughs> question. I know some people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, I guess that'll be uh, that'll be it for episode number 201 of Hebsey on Sports. And thanks, as always, to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Thanks to our great sponsor, Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington. Go to crosswindsgolf.com to book your tee time online. I'm going to be there Sunday. Looking forward. It's always a great round at Crosswinds. And thanks for allowing us into your headspace. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for reading material, don't forget that my book greatest athlete you've never heard of 
is uh, available at all fine bookstores. Oh, that's right. You can't go to bookstores anymore. Available at you can, Amazon. You can. You can. I was in an Indigo. You can go to bookstores. Or, or you can. You got a mask up. You can get I in there. Yeah. Or you can just contact me, markhepsher at gmail.com, and I'll make arrangements to get you an autographed copy. That's, not- that's the way to go, everybody. Back with another episode of Hebsy on Sports next week. Until then, so long for now. This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.